Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Heart for Iran's webinar series, where each month we speak with one of our partners who has the same passion and heart for Iran as we do. Coming up, we have Pastor Ramin Changizi, serving refugees in Greece, along with Pastor Andreas Sauter with Elijah 21 Ministries, and finally, Debrina Bet Tamras, serving Farsi speakers in Europe. We will be unmasking the life of refugees, our fellow brothers and sisters who have been displaced by society, and exploring the opportunities and challenges that come with ministering to this specific community. Welcome to our webinar today for Heart Free Ron on the refugee situation. Uh, we're really excited to be here and thankful that you could join us. I know we have about 60 people registered for the webinar itself. And then we're also broadcasting live on Facebook. So if you're joining us from either of those platforms, we're welcoming you and we're looking forward to hearing your questions and also diving into this topic of the refugee situation and why it's important for Iran. So once again, welcome today. Uh, my name is David with Heart for Iran, Heart for Iran, a ministry uh, connecting over 100 organizations together to reach the people of Iran, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to every home and every village, every city, every town in Iran, and that's our desire. But not all Iranians are living in Iran. Many are displaced as refugees, and others are living in foreign countries. We call those the diaspora. And so today we want to jump into that, and we have some special guests very excited to dive into this topic. So uh, let me start us with a word of prayer and then we wanna jump right into this. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this day and this uh, chance to be together and talk about uh, your precious people all over the world. Lord, we wanna see uh, your word going out to all the people of Iran, changing that nation. And we ask for your blessings and your help as we discuss this important topic of refugees today. Jesus name. Amen. All right. Again, welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. We're looking forward to hearing your questions. Uh, Mike, I want to just start with you. Talk to us a little bit. What is the refugee situation? What's going on? Why are we talking about refugees today? Um, hi, David. And thank you guys for joining us at this webinar talking about refugee. Yes, the refugee plight um, may have been taking a second, a backseat uh, because of the pandemic that we're seeing around the globe uh, with coronavirus. Nevertheless, it is a major crisis that our societies are dealing with, are facing. Um, I would like to go ahead and uh, share with you guys uh, some information from the UN Refugee Agency, just to give you an idea of what is the, 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 the dimension and the scope of the global crisis that we're dealing with. According to the UN Refugee Agency, there are at least 79.5 million, almost 80 million people around the world that have been forced to flee their homes. Uh, this is information uh, uh, that, that uh, they have on their website. They're saying among them are nearly 26 million refugees, uh, around half of whom are under the age of 18. Uh, that is a major crisis. Imagine 26 million people, refugees that are under 18, children uh, that are in very, very difficult situations uh, away from home and safety. Uh, these, um, so there are also millions of stateless people. What does that mean? These are people who've been denied a nationality and lack access to basic rights, such as education, healthcare, employment, and freedom of movement. Uh, and um, Interestingly enough, we, when we talk about refugee, automatically we start thinking about the Middle East and, and, uh, 
uh, you know, Syrians and others. But did you know that 3.6 million Venezuelans have been displaced abroad just because of the, of, of the crisis? In Africa, you're having a huge, huge uh, situation uh, in the Mediterranean coast uh, with the refugees that are fleeing um, from Africa and going up uh, towards um, uh, through Mediterranean to Italy and other places. Uh, the, the, and the situation that we're dealing with is absolutely dire. Our ministry is called Hearts for Iran, and today we are going to share with you guys a global perspective, but also from the angle and the lens of what is happening in Iran and what is the underlying cause for people to flee. And also, we are going to be discussing, David, today uh, with some of our guests uh, as to um, uh, how, what is the journey like for these individuals and when they land at the destination, what happens? I do want to go ahead and share with you guys some of the reasons that this is happening. Okay, the most uh, when an individual is forced to leave their own country and is denied the basic rights, they have no choice but to leave. For example, today, just today, we, re uh, we read in the news that the American, an American was accused of blasphemy in Pakistan, was killed uh, in a courtroom. Now, uh, that, is, uh, that is not good because what happens is uh, uh, in countries like that, uh, people are not allowed, especially the uh, minorities, are not uh, given a safe haven to be able to be expressed. Um, we know that in Iran, uh, for example, a family of an Iranian-American house church leader uh, who's remaining right now in detention for the, for the past three weeks, um, he was told that uh, the deposit for his bail would be around three billion tomans. That's hundred fifty thousand dollars U.S. thousand dollars for for his bail. This is twice the previous uh, highest amount demanded to secure the release of a Christian prisoner. Um, we're talking about Joseph Shahbazian, who's fifty six years old in, in Iran. Uh, so when you are dealing with this situation, David, where uh, in, in countries across the world, the basic human rights are, are taken away uh, and, and people have no home. They don't have, they cannot belong to their own native land anymore. They are displaced. And in the process, many of them become stateless and the conditions under which they live is absolutely horrible. And today we're hoping to be able to bring uh, some awareness to, to the plight of these brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter if they're Christian, they're Muslim, they're Jewish, they're Baha'is, they are human beings. And I believe the reason that we have, an, uh, we have a heart for them is because the Bible tells us so. Jesus says that we need to love each other. So that is, uh, that is the reason that we have in this webinar. Hopefully we'll be able to take your questions and dive in deeper. David, back to you. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Mike. And, you know, we are heart for Iran. So everything we do has that flavor. Um, I want to kind of kick us off. We did receive a video um, if our technical team could go ahead and get that video prepared. Uh, we did receive a video from one of our ministry partners. Now, this guy is Iranian-born, actually Muslim background, became a Christian, amazing testimony, and he's been on our channel, TV channel before, broadcasting into Iran, very active with the ministry uh, for Iran for quite a while. But he's right now in Greece, and he's serving among re refugees there. And so he sent us a video that we want to share. Good morning, everybody. This is Pastor Ramin Changizi in Samos, Greek. We are here among the camp of refugees, as we see. We have almost 7,000 people here. And we are recording this because the need is vast. And we are trying to bring a little bit of hope and the message of hope with these people working among different kind of refugees. We have 
Afghans, we have Pakistanis, we have Syrians, we have Iranians, Afghans, and lots of groups are here. And you can see they're having a place among the uh, mountain and they have some connects. The camp is normally for 700 people, but there are almost 7,000 people in this island and having all these problems lying for water and uh, you see the people they come because there is no water in the camp and there is just few toilets and bathrooms the people every 400 people they can use one bathroom and restroom so you see all these places the people they build it themselves the shacks so it's a really hard situation here there is no cooking area no kitchen nothing so they give them some foods but they have to stay in lines for many hours life is so beautiful summers but you know the people in a very very bad situation we have many many kids around it, it's uh, not a safe place and not a clean place there is a rats there is a snakes there's so many things i can show you the pictures and hopefully we can do something we try to feed them and also have some meetings for them to bring some clothing and the things that they need to many people they're seeking refugee here but it's a really hard situation god bless you bye bye It's a pretty desperate situation, and so we were really thankful to Pastor Ramin for sending us that video footage so that we could take a look at that and just share that with you guys today. So I know not every refugee is in exactly that situation. They're, they're varied. They're in all kinds of situations, but for him right now in Greece, that is the situation, and among that group, there are Iranians there. There are Afghans there. Both of those are, are uh people that we are trying to minister to. And so we want to encourage uh, his efforts and we want to support his efforts uh, to reach and to care for those people. So Mike, thanks for getting that video and sharing that and helping, you know, elaborate a little bit about that. So that's one, just one brief example of what the refugee situation would look like for a person that has moved to Greece. Um, right now I want to jump into introducing our guests. We've got two amazing guests with us. Uh, first, we've got Andreas uh, with Elijah 21 Ministries. He's the founder and leader of that organization. They've been serving uh, refugees in greater Europe for more than four years now. And we're really thankful to have Elijah as one of our ministry partners. Uh, Elijah 21 is one of our ministry partners, and we want to work more closely with them. And we're excited to hear more about their organization today. So I know he has a short video as well. I'm hoping that we're going to get full audio and video on that one. If we could go ahead and cue that one up, that'll help introduce his organization a little bit, and then we'll get into uh, talking to him. Thoughts spurred by fear. Steps hastened by trauma. Feet run sore. They flee from their homes forced by war, oppression, and dogmas to a foreign land, a land of hope. A hope for love, peace, freedom. This mass migration offers a historic opportunity to spread the gospel. We have this chance now. 
Let's use it. At Elijah 21, for months we have had the privilege to see how God has already prepared the hearts of refugees with a Muslim background to receive this message of love. We spend time with these people, share meals and show the Jesus film in their respective language. The act is simple, but the impact is incredible. We help them find their way to the one Savior, Jesus Christ. Miracles can be witnessed. Jesus shines through and he calls you. Testimonies show that in this time of a never before seen chance to reach out to Islamic countries with the message of hope, the impact is already visible. We experience that refugees who have found Jesus reach out to their compatriots, which in return opens the door for us to lead whole nations to find him and be changed in the process. The Lord calls you. Can you hear him? Then be part of a movement that takes this unique chance. Visit our website. We have developed a simple format that shows you how you, your friends, and your church can take a step. It works. Everyone can be part of this movement. Support us in prayer, with your finances, or host your own Jesus film night and be part of what he is going to do. Elijah 21, Jesus transforms the world. All right, thank you so much. Um, Andreas, thank you and welcome to the program. We're really excited to get to know more about Elijah 21 and the work you guys are doing among refugees in Europe. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about your story how did you get come to get involved with refugee work in Germany and abroad? Actually, it's a long story. I never really had a, a, a hard or a specific approach to those nations. Um, but when I uh, found Christ, actually, um, he started to talk to us in multiple ways. And one way was a dream in 2013. It was about a, a, a man who just drowned, almost drowned. He was crawling on a beach. And he collapsed there, and Jesus was behind him, standing in the water, knee-deep. The water went up to his knee, and he, he had a, a dress. It was like Guantanamo orange. And he looked at me and said, Andreas, help me. So that was 2013, and I didn't know what it meant. So I wrote it down in my diary. And in 2015, we had the first real reports on television about the, you know, the numbers of migrants coming and the people drowning in the Mediterranean and between Greece and Turkey. And it was like the Lord is pulling my attention to that situation. And from there on, um, we had prophecies coming. We had a team that was praying that really the Lord told us what it's on his, what's on his heart. And then one day I prayed and he said, Andreas, travel to Tehran, go to the Hilton Hotel and meet a guy called Samir. And just because I did that, Actually, a, a, a group of people that prayed that knew what the Lord wants us to do is reached out to those people with his love but didn't know how to, came together with a woman that had the knowledge of the Jesus film. So the fishermen came together with the fishernet, and that's when we started Elijah 21. So it's a long story where we didn't, didn't do much. We just followed, and things just came along. Wow, that's awesome. Andreas, what kind of work were you doing prior to this? So you had a dream that really led you into this ministry? Were you in ministry before? Were you working in, what type of work were you doing before? Well, actually, I'm coming from a total different approach. Actually, I was an Air Force 
uh, backseater in a fast jet tornado. It's a dual, dual seat fighter bomber, actually trained by the US Air Force. I got US wings um, uh, trained in Randolph Air Force Base. And after that, usually you retire in Germany with the age of 41. I became an aerospace consultant. So I did my aerospace degree and I became a consultant for Porsche, the car company. And right wow. between the, the job change, Christ came in my life and I had a massive experience in the Holy Spirit and I accepted the Lord and I became a guy of prayer. And at a certain point, I said, I have to give him priority. I have to give him priority in my life um, um, and let him see what he has prepared for me. And that's when the prophecy came, the dream. That's when he, was, he did send me out to Tehran and eventually Elijah 21 come around. Wow, that's awesome. I hope that story, I feel like that story really should resonate with our audience. People are in all kinds of life stages and situations, but you know, when you submit yourself to God, who knows where that can go. And so you have an amazing story. I, I, I tell you, the least thing back then I expected was Jesus in my life, but you know, he stepped in and things changed to the better. Wow. Wow. So tell me a little bit, we want to hear more about your ministry. What are you guys doing specifically with refugees and what are the needs that you're seeing on the ground right now? Okay. So what he put on our heart is, is, is that Jesus told us, I'm crying for the people that I cannot reach, you know, especially from uh, Muslim countries that are Muslims and, and he, his father is crying for them. And he has a plan for all those migrants that come to Germany. That's basically the first thing he put on his heart is to pull them to his father heart. Two, he has a plan for the countries where they come from of healing, reconciliation and building his kingdom there. And three, for us as the body of Christ to bring the love of Jesus Christ to those people. And once basically that was there, we knew, like Mark 16 and, and, and Matthew, we, we knew we had to go out and preach the gospel to them, bring the love of him to them. So using what I said, the fisher net, we didn't know how to do that. We were not Farsi speaking. We didn't know how to speak Arabic. We had no idea how to do that. We just knew we just had hundreds of thousands of people from those countries in our country. So here we were, we were praying. And he said, Lord, you have to tell us how to do it. And that's when I was sent out to Tehran eventually. Um, I met because of that travel. It was a taxi drive in Tehran telling me where people just accepted Christ in the town. I was amazed by the fact. Well, anyway, uh, just because of that information, I came across a lady that had the Jesus film. And so we knew this is a way of how we can communicate his message and his love in their native, in their mother tongue, in their, in their in the language, in Arabic, Farsi, Dari, Urdu, Pashtu, whoever we meet and invite. So we started to just organize together with partnering parishes events where we go to the refugee camp, knock on the door and said, hey, we are followers of Jesus Christ. We would like to get to know you and spend time with you and know who you really are. Eat, drink, we prepared a meal for you but also share what is in our hearts. You come to our country, you see a lot of churches. It's a country with a Christian heritage. We need to know about each other. We want to share what we believe. And you know what? They're coming, hundreds of them. The buses are full. And once we realize that, we realize the Lord is sending us to go fishing and the nets are full. Why? Because he's wow. doing it. Yeah? And they are, the hearts of the people are open, very hungry to receive that, to that, that message. So. Basically, in a nutshell, we organize events with partnering parishes across entire Europe, where we take the people of the parish, go out 
to the refugee camps, to the Muslim uh, population, invite them for a day where we eat, drink, and show them the Jesus film in their native language. And that's the format. And, um, you know, just like the film said, you know, it's very easy format. But the impact of what we experience, the amount, the, the, the level of openness of the hearts, the hunger for loving God with the relationship, it's, it's amazing. It's just huge. That's why we don't see it as very often, you know, we refer to it as a, as a, a migration crisis, but the Lord puts on our heart how see, he sees it. It's, it's a huge harvest. It's a, it's a way of how we can build kingdom today is reaching out to those people, you know. It's like a relay race where, where people tried to preach the gospel in Iran and, or in Afghanistan in earlier days. And now they, that fiery gospel, that gospel from the day one, they put it in our hands, the baton, and say, now it's you. And it's so easy for us now because we, can, we have the people in our country in a free Europe. You know, we can go to them. We can knock on the door. We can invite them. Uh, there are no boundaries. And it's a huge opportunity. So, Andreas, you are coming for our audience. Andreas is coming to us from Germany. <clears throat> Excuse me. Germany is the number five receiving country in the world for refugees. So this has been all over the news as far as the Germany's policies and their stance towards refugees. And, and you're seeing that firsthand. But then you're taking that as an opportunity sh to share the gospel. So um, I just want to hear, uh, do you have a testimony you want to share? Or is there a certain person maybe you could tell us about uh, that, that you've talked to recently and what happened with that person. Yeah, well, really, we were in a, in, in a German town um, and uh, it's in the East uh, and not a lot of believers there. We were in a parish and we went out to the refugee camp taking the people from the parish, knocking on the door and invite, just like I told you before. And actually there was a guy and he said, hey, you know, our missionaries, they're Muslim background believers. They speak the, the languages, you know, um, and, and they, they can communicate very well, you know. So it was a rabbit guy, and, and our missionaries approached him and said, hey, uh, we would like to invite you uh, uh, to, to, that, to that day. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm an imam, you know. Uh, 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 I'm, not, I'm not coming. And, and, and our missionaries were like, hey, why not? You know, great, you're an imam. Uh, you're invited. Come. And, and, and then he was like, no, not really. And then our missionary said, why do you fear our faith? And he said, no, of course not. So he, he even brought 10 guys with him. And he came and it was a very respectful uh, day, uh, conversation, exchange, very, you know, eye side, it was, it was same level, very respectful, wonderful day. And they exchanged and he, he watched the Jesus from the entire uh, uh, um, length, you know, he stayed uh, all day and they exchanged WhatsApp numbers and communicated, kept on communicating our people. What happened is he's actually from Morocco. He had an asylum request in Germany. And um, uh, months later, our folks saw that he changed his WhatsApp picture to a cross. And the guy, they called him up and said, what happened? And he accepted Christ, you know. And um, what happened now is actually his asylum request, he was not granted. So he was flown back to Morocco and he started to actually preach the gospel there. Um, wow. Now, um, wow. actually, what turned out is, is he got imprisoned. Um, uh, after he left prison, we, you know, our guys tried to help him out. Um, uh, but uh, then they went basically um, underground and uh, uh, trying to preach the gospel on Morocco. And it, it, it is just a short story of yeah. how open the hearts are and, and that it's a wonderful opportunity to bring the love, you know, uh, 
and, and the, the reality of the loving God, of God you can have a relationship with, to the people, and through them, it's preaching back to the countries where they come from. So, so yeah. it's, it's a huge opportunity in the body of Christ we have now um, in Europe uh, uh, that, that we can serve our Lord. Amen. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that testimony. And I want to dig more into that, but I want to go ahead and introduce our next guest. So Debrina is also with us. So we've got amazing guests today. Debrina is also with us. She is a pastor with the Free Evangelical Church in Switzerland, but she's very active in Switzerland and Germany um, with refugees and has an amazing testimony and personal story as well. Um, Debrina was actually born in Iran and has a story of leaving Iran herself. And so we're really thankful to have you with us, Sabrina. And I would really just love for you to share a little bit of your personal story. You know, how does a person born in Iran come to be in Switzerland and now serving as a pastor and uh, working in this way? All right, yes, I was born, um, well, first of all, hello, David, um, Mike, and everybody uh, watching. It's an honor to be here. I was born into an Assyrian Christian family. My both parents were ministries and pastors. Um, they were also born Christians. We were not converted Christians, but um, my father started his ministry among first speaking um, non-Christians many years ago. Uh, God gave my father a passion, a heart for, for this mission within the country, like as you say, the heart of Iran, God gave him a heart for um, people who didn't know him. And it didn't took much from us except obedience and people came asking questions, seeking Christ with much hunger and, and thirst for the truth of God. And so my father opened the church for the Farsi speaking people as well as over our make. A congregation and we were able to ministry among them. I've studied myself theology in England um, and in 2009 we all, we've always faced some kind of persecution restrictions from the government but in the last years before 2009 the persecution increased in many ways and finally in 2009 the church was closed um, the keys were taken away from us and at that time, we, we faced severe persecution, interrogations, harassments, uh, final imprisonments. Um, my parents were imprisoned. My brother was imprisoned. I was interrogated uh, many times um, and arrested. And in 2010, I was able to flee the country, um, thinking it was just going to be a few months. I'm going to go back home, and everything is going to be fine. Okay. Those few months turned to a year, and a year turned to 10 years now that I'm living in Switzerland, and I'm pastoring um, a Swiss evangelical church. All right. Wow, that's quite a story. Tell us a little bit about, so for our audience, just so she mentioned, she's a Syrian background. Assyrian are a minority inside of Iran that are traditionally Christian, so she's coming from that background. So you probably, most likely, it sounds like you faced kind of a, a minority status at the minimum, but even persecution your entire life, um, just being part of that, identifying as part of that group, but then things started to ramp up. Tell us about, you know, when was it that you knew, like, I need to leave uh, Iran? How, what was the, the moment, and what was that process like for you? 
So I was probably one of the first church leaders who was arrested in 2009 after me, my uncle, my dad, and other church leaders and, and today church members are being arrested. So everything was very new to, to us. I was arrested many times and interrogated a number of times. And at the end, I was forced to sign um, documents against my father and other church pastors and mm. main leaders of the church, which I did not, but I did sign some papers against myself. So it was a lot of pressure. I couldn't go to university. I was studying uh, psychology at the time. I wasn't allowed to go to university. I was being harassed at university. Um, and again, at the time, we didn't know how the situation would be. There, there was no standard procedure. We had no idea how the government will deal with Christians. And we were recognized Christians. We had the right to practice our faith. Um, but there were lots of threats um, to my life and my future. And we didn't know if I had to go to the court and talk to a lawyer. Um, and my family saw at the time that it would be a good idea if I shortly leave the country, just temporarily to see how the situation changes. We were hoping that we get the church back and we can continue in peace and we can make some deals or, I don't know, like cooperate in some ways. But um, no, the situation got worse. My uncle, uh, Pastor Vislin Savi, was imprisoned and my father and, and so on and so forth. Um, to be honest, it wasn't my decision to leave the country. It was more my mom and dad coming out of the interrogation um, yeah. Not knowing what happens to your daughter. I was 23 at the time. So uh, they decided, well, leave the country and I will see. So when you left, did you, I mean, officially at some point you became a refugee or do you consider yourself a refugee? Tell us about that process, um, how you got to Switzerland and, and the legal maybe side of that. Right. I used to study theology in England and we used to have this mission work that we would go to the refugee camps and help them. And just going to the refugees camp, we would preach and do theaters and worship. And then I would work with a lot of Iranians in England. And I would think, why on earth would you leave Iran and come to this kind of, lift that kind of a situation? I would never on earth do this. Um, and I was forced to, it was in by choice. So, yes, I am a refugee. I don't like it. And I had people telling me, oh, Debrina, we like you, even though you're a refugee. I'm like, what does that mean? But, yeah, there, there is a label. There is that stamp on you. Once you enter a refugee camp, once you enter that status, you have an ID card which says you're a refugee. And today, even though after 10 years of living in Switzerland, I have a travel document and traveling around different countries, um, as a different color, so my passport is a different color, and I have to say, well, I'm a refugee in Switzerland, I have no status, I have no country that I belong to. It's a very special situation in Switzerland. Wow. Uh, but on paper, I'm a refugee, yes. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think our audience is really gonna <laughs> like that. T tell us a little bit about your ministry and what you're doing now um, and how you're working and also how you're serving or helping with refugees in Germany and all of that. Tell us what's going on. Um, so I'm involved in different kind of ministries, but my main ministry, my main job, I'm, some, I'm a pastor, as I said, in a Swiss evangelical church. So it's not necessarily a church for Farsi groups, like Iranians or uh, Farsi-speaking members, but it's 
uh, with, with uh, Swiss Church, but we are active. We have different kind of refugee uh, programs with German courses, different ministries that we are attending. I myself do seminar teachings um, for the Iranian ministry or, or Afghani ministry. Um, politically, we are active in mainly raising awareness in regard to persecution within Iran and helping the um, Iranian Christians who are facing severe persecution to leave the country or to have some support uh, to survive within the country. When it comes to refugee work, I support different organizations here in Bern and also in Germany. Um, but working with the government uh, to advise different ways and churches, how we can support refugees, how we can integrate, uh, integrate them within the churches and the culture. We are helping with uh, different kind of culture, uh, schools of integrating refugees within the country and church. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your work. Um, I want to go ahead. We're getting a lot of questions in the chat and we're getting a lot of questions um, on the webinar. We want to go ahead and start getting into those. Um, so one of the main questions is, uh, what are the greatest needs? I would love for you guys, Andreas, Sabrina, Mike, all of you to unpack for me a little bit. You know, what is the situation for a refugee? I know we saw Ramin's video and that's a very desperate situation i know not every refugee is in that situation um but what are some of the needs that you guys are seeing uh that are most evident uh, debrina we could start with you so again yes i am working here in europe when i say europe in switzerland in germany in france the situation is not as bad as uh, greece or turkey or macedonia the Balkan area um, in in those areas the living uh, circumstances are very poor and um, for, for a refugee to survive in those camps now in a heat or in a uh, in the cold in winter is horrible compared to those situations whether it's in turkey where people are not allowed to have insurance they're not allowed to work they're not allowed to travel outside of their areas. They're not allowed to even say they were Christian in Turkey today. In Greece, they face a lot of difficulties. But compared to that, I would say Switzerland and Germany is heaven on earth. And camps we have here are amazing. But yet, that being said, um, refugees also come here and they have to uh, live in small rooms, share with different people. Um, the difficulty is you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, you um, cannot communicate. And then you're in one room with people from different countries, from Africa, from Sri Lanka, from Asia, um, and you cannot communicate. Uh, it's, it's a very stressful situation. It's a situation that people are in uncertain uncertainty how can i say that they're very uh, in a limbo status they have no idea what the future holds they have no idea how uh, what they can do um, most of the time they're home from the morning till the evening having nothing to do not being able to go to the german courses not being able to work they have uh, no occupation so imagine they're bored they're angry mostly depressed um in, in one small room having no other possibilities but just be there and wait and sometimes wait for years and years. Wow I think that's so important to share. Um, I was personally shocked you know we have quite a few team members uh, on the Harfree Ron team that have actually been through this process and several of them told me just how depressing and uh, really sad 
they get when they're sitting in this limbo situation. I don't think it can be overstated. Mike, I know you want to talk a little bit about this. What are you, what are we hearing as Harford Iran? Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing as the needs uh, for refugees. Thank you. For, for our audience, I wanted to let you know that we are receiving everyday phone calls from Iranians, either inside Iran or outside of Iran. Uh, many times we just, uh, our counselors are just count, uh, giving them counsel and just helping them with therapy and other things. And the reason for that is because I want you to understand that what is happening in Iran is really uh, not uh, justified, is not right, and is leading to a huge number of Iranians being displaced out of their own hometown, from, out of their own country. Uh, the, in Iran, right now, as, as uh, uh, our call center registers, we roughly register about six to 700 contacts every day. And what we hear from Iran is that majority of Iranians are leaving Iran because in Iran, there's depression, there's suicide, hopelessness, uh, there is um, family issues, sexual and domestic abuse. There's anger uh, issues with anger. A lot of people are angry. When you, you don't have peace, you become angry. Uh, unemployment, anxiety, honor, killing, persecution. I want to share with you guys the stories of four people. These are four real people. We changed their name for security. Uh, the first one, her name is Azar. She says, my name is Azar. I'm 19 years old, and I left Iran after my father wanted to force me to marry his business partner, who's 62 years old and is already married. Now, Azar, for the past three years, has taken refuge in Istanbul. The next one is Kayvon. Kayvon is 22 years old. He says, I left Iran because there is no future for me in Iran. Bad economy, religious bias. He's been in Macedonia for the last two years with no prospects. The next one is Sarush and his wife. He's 26 years old. He says, my wife and I are smart, educated. We have no prospects for good employment in Iran. Unless you are super rich, you can't survive. Him and his wife are in Turkey for the past three years. And the last one, it says, she says, my name is Leela. My husband and our two daughters left Iran looking for better life. We are in a rundown building sharing a room with two other families. I am concerned for, the, for my daughter's safety. Folks, you got to understand that um, in these camps, uh, one of the things that happens is, is, is uh, kidnappings, is uh, human trafficking, because you are putting so many people, 7,000 people in one encampment, and there's so many different races. There's some bad elements in there as well. Did you know that the, uh, the, the human trafficking industry is about $150 billion of business every year? And that's, that's according to, um, to the White House. And did you know that when these people come out, they are taken out and they are trafficked to other areas? For example, did you know that Washington DC in America has the highest human trafficking rate in the, United, in the entire US, followed by Nevada, Delaware? So what we're talking about here, um, David, is the fact that uh, people are leaving their homes because they are not given a chance to be able to experience the joy of their homeland, feel safety, feel, um, you know, we were talking about wealth. What, do, what does define uh, somebody to be wealthy? It's not how rich they are financially. It's how they are finding peace and freedom uh, with their family and finding joy in their daily life. That is what the definition of a wealthy person is. And unfortunately, majority of people in the world, especially in these areas and in Iran, are robbed of their wealth. So um, interestingly enough, Last few months, roughly about 3,000 of these 600 people that call us every, every day. And within a month, 3,000 people told us that they want to follow Jesus. Why? 
uh, why we're connecting uh, the refugee to Jesus. The simple reason is because when people are hopeless, they start looking for meaning in life. That is why a ministry like our brother Andreas's Elijah 21, our sister Debrina's ministry becomes powerful, becomes a strategic. It's a ministry that needs to be supported. And, and the church in the West, uh, I think we are just in some kind of a hypnosis, David. We have no idea what is going on. We have our own comfort zone. And the most that we would think about is uh, coronavirus. How do we socially distance ourselves? Whereas Jesus tells us uh, about the Great Commission, there are brothers and sisters on the other side uh, of the pond uh, of the ocean that are in trouble. And so when I see someone like Pastor Rami Changizi leaving the, his comfort in America and going to Greece and working with people when there is a, a worm coming out of a refugee's ear because there's lack of basic uh, hygiene there, I say that is where God's heart is. If you cannot go there physically, then the church's responsibility is to support those who are there. And I think that is what is really uh, happening here and what we want to focus on, David. Back to you. Amen. Uh, Andreas, I just want to pass the question to you, but also, you know, in this situation, we, the next question has to do with how are refugees joining the church? What does that look like? Uh, what are some of the difficulties with that? So we're hearing about the issues they're having. You've told us about the opportunity to minister what happens when they try to join the church? Tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, so what we have and what we see at the moment is that the body of Christ with the traditional churches in Germany, but also Europe, is very introverted. It's focusing on the outside, on the inside, thinking about why are our numbers declining? What do we have to do to be more attractive? What do we have to do to fill our churches again? So it's turning to the inside, which is wrong versus they should actually go to the outside overflow, bring his love to the people. So what happens is once they, the, the, the people that come to a free country like Germany or other country in Europe and hear about the good news, they start to get together. And this is where the Holy Spirit is. So we have churches that just pop up. We have, I have, we have one church in Dresden. It's a, it's a group of Iranians. They're part of our team too. Uh, they just, started to get together. They started to worship. They had the Holy Spirit there on fire. They rented a, a shop somewhere downtown and they started to worship Jesus. In the backyard, they had a, a little uh, place with a cobblestone. They ripped out the cobblestone, went to hobby shop, bought a whirlpool. That's where they are baptizing people one by one, you know, and, and, and they are so we can feel the Lord and we see the Lord and they are experiencing uh, 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 Jesus Christ. And, um, so we have a Catholic bishop here that says, you know, those and the, especially the Iranians, they are, the, we, we see a very powerful church building. They built very strong communities in, 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 in Jesus. And they will re-evangelize the traditional body of Christ and the Christian believers in Europe. So, you know, how good is that plan of the Lord? You know, we have a, a migration wave that is historical. It's biblical, you know, and he has a good plan. He has a good plan of reaching out to the, to the people, bringing his plan back to the countries where they come from, while sending us immunity into a harvest. And that is going to renew us as the traditional church. It's going to heal us in, 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 in Europe as the traditional church. How wonderful yeah. is the plan? And it's all going through those people that have the heart for a living God and a loving God, and they experience him. And that's where the fire falls. 
So Andreas, I know you're talking about um, that people are open to the gospel. And uh, Debrina, I want to ask you, what are some of the issues, you know, technically or physically, if they're trying to join a German church, what are some of the uh, barriers? Andreas talked about how, you know, the traditional German church might not be so open to this. Um, what are what's some of the things that are happening with that? Well, some of the difficulties um, from the refugee side is a language barrier and the culture differences. Um, depending on the, on the culture, they have different expectations. And sometimes the churches have different expectations. So to clarify those expectations is very important from the very beginning. And of course, they come to the church and they want to be involved. And they want to be integrated and have relationship with people. But the language barrier uh, does not allow that. I know of people who called me very upset and said, I wanted to go to the to a small group in this church and they didn't allow me. So I called the pastor and I said, well, how can we help? And he said, look, he can't understand the language in the small group. I know he wants to be there, but there's no way of communicating with him. And I understand them for the small group is also frustrating because they, they don't know how to do it. It's time consuming. So churches need to figure out ways of communicating with the refugees. And on the other hand, it's amazing that churches want to integrate these people um, in their native speaking groups and not just have Persian speaking or Arabic speaking or Turkish speaking, but it's amazing. I see more and more churches wanting to integrate people in their speaking, that's, that's perfect. But that does take time. It takes understanding and a lot of patience. So a culture barrier, language difficulties and different expectations from the refugees and from the church side. Yeah, uh, Mike, I want to say we have a program called Masiat.com. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and how we've yes. been asked to, to help with this integration process? Sure. Uh, David, before I talk about that one, let me just also share with you guys, in agreement with Andreas and Debrina, uh, the major problem is that when a refugee leaves their country and let's say lands in Germany, there are a lot of refugees in Germany. Thank God for the German government and society that is bringing these people in. But the problem is integration and assimilation. How do you bring about a person who does not speak a word of German, does not understand the culture uh, into a society to be a productive member of the society? That is the biggest challenge. No matter how much money you give them, that's just still not going to solve the problem, the, 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 the challenge. So what happens is majority of the churches, of these individuals go to churches, and the churches cannot connect with them. The other thing is that the church in the West needs to understand that um, when an, a, a Muslim individual, a Muslim refugee becomes a believer, we call him MBB, Muslim background believer. And MBB, usually after going to the church in, in Europe and in the West, is never fully integrated within the church system. There is really no validation and integration of this individual who has left their country and their faith is the Christian now into the, into the uh, religious society, Christian society in the West. So all of a sudden, let's say if Muhammad uh, is, is a refugee who has left his country, has become a believer and comes to Germany, if he becomes a Christian, he could no longer go back to his homeland because they would go ahead and put him in prison and potentially kill him. So he has to stay in Germany because now he has changed his faith to Christianity. But now if the German church does not provide a native resource or native services for Muhammad's 
and people like him and say, no, you don't have a place unless you become a part of our tradition and our ways and you would never become an ordained pastor, then after a while, the church has shunned this Muhammad away. So there's a challenge. There's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger challenge that is going on, and that is how does the church in the West connect with these Muhammads that are coming to their churches, knocking on their doors, saying, we want to learn about your faith because we escaped what was then, and we want something new, but teach us. This creates the biggest opportunity for the church to minister and evangelize to this population who is coming to our doors and knocking and saying, tell me about Jesus. And the church is missing that opportunity. Amen. You have people coming to your door. Exactly, David. So what we decided to do, we got a call uh, from the German Evangelical Alliance, uh, an amazing organization, uh, uh, a part of World Evangelical Alliance. We have been uh, partners with them for quite a few years. They're doing amazing work. And they said to us, they said, look, um, our German um, and Swiss and uh, uh, pastors cannot connect with the Iranians that are coming to our churches. They don't speak the language. So we put together a website called masihiat.com, M-A-S-I-H-I-A-T, masihiat.com, means Christianity in, in, in English. And through that website, when Muhammad goes to, let's say, Andreas's church or to Dabrina's church, let's say Andreas, because Dabrina speaks for us, let's say, to, let's say to Andreas's church, they don't speak a word. Andreas says, hey, Muhammad, why don't you go to masihiat.com, sign up, and learn the basics of Christianity, Christianity 101 in your own native language. So they come to our website, masiyah.com, and they take six months worth of a course. They assign an e-coach to them, and Muhammad learns the basics of Christianity. Once he finishes his course, we send a certificate of completion to Andreas, his pastor, and we say, Pastor Andreas, this new member that came to your church just finished the course and learned about the basics of Christianity in their modern language. It is not up to you if you want to baptize them or do whatever you want to, whatever you want to do. It becomes a little bit of a piece of a puzzle that goes into this uh, obscurity to help connect everybody together. So at least Andreas and the church in Germany and in Switzerland can bring on more of these refugees and give them a meaningful place to belong to. So that is the purpose of yeah, that's great. I want to jump into one quick question, which is, do people generally as refugees, they're here, are they trying to get back to Iran? Uh, do they have dreams to go back to Iran? Could you guys talk, Andreas, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about that. This is a common question we get a lot, you know, are people trying to get back into Iran? Uh, what are you seeing and, and what's your feel for these people's final kind of position and where they're going? Yeah, so at the moment, to the majority of the people I know, there's not an opportunity to get to go back, um, uh, especially not now or in the near future. Most of the people that are in my, you know, organization, or I get to meet, uh, they know Christ or accepted Christ, so that's a it's a no return for them anyway. I even have uh, two young missionary students. They are still on their honeymoons in three years because on their honeymoon they became, became refugees. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's not really an option, but we do believe that God has a plan. And because when we reach out to them, we already see like some of them that they, they have a, a, an evangelistic calling, you know, and, and that, that 
God will have a plan also for some of them, while he is growing the church in the underground, in the countries of origin, that eventually some of them will be sent back by the Lord to build a church in their country. You know, we've seen it as Germans that um, nobody ever had believed that the wall's going to fall that quickly. Nobody had seen uh, the complete Eastern Bloc break down like we saw it with the uh, peaceful revolution that un unified my country. So is it possible? Yes, everything is possible for the Lord. That's why I took uh, my missionaries from Iran into exactly that church in Germany where the prayer started. And out of that prayer, the demonstration started. And out of the demonstrations, a reunification started. And we prayed for Iran. So eventually, we believe that, um, that the Lord will build his kingdom in Iran. And we will uh, hopefully see that happening. Amen. Amen. Man, this has been such a great conversation. Debrina, I just want to hear from you one last time uh, as we're trying to wrap everything up. But uh, what's your thoughts on how should our audience be praying uh, for this refugee situation and for Iranians out there uh, that need to hear the gospel. And tell us what your thoughts are of that. How should we tell them to pray? Great question. Um, most of Iranians who leave the country, I'm not saying everybody, but most of them are forced to leave the country. They're not leaving because they are bored or because they need to. They're forced to. Most of these Iranians have left their families behind, left their friends behind. We have a beautiful, rich culture, language, civilization. Uh, it's heartbreaking to leave our country behind. So these people are facing cultural shock, depression. Um, uh, they face uh, very difficulties to integrate themselves in a new country, especially because they don't want to, because it wasn't, it wasn't their choice to come here. So pray that God will bring healing and restorations in their hearts, in their minds, um, about their past, what they've experienced. Most of the people are facing are, are homesick, are being lonely and cannot deal with it. So which leads again to a depression and uh, extreme anxiety uh, and drawing isolation, drawing yourself back. So pray that Christ will meet them. During dreams, we, we hear how, how Christ is meeting people within the country in Iran in dreams and visions and in person. And he's the same God in Iran and here in Europe and in America. So we do pray that these people will encounter Christ also here in Europe. That through that depression and anxiety and isolation, they will know God who's with them, who's carrying them, who is their mother, father, their family, their friend. And they may gain a new perspective, an idea of what home is. I think something for me was very beautiful coming to Europe. Um, the um, Hebrews chapter 11, the verse about Abraham, that he was a foreigner on this planet. He had no home. His home was in heaven. Understanding that my home is heaven. My home is where my God is. He is my home. He is my family. And that's where it just gives you peace and comfort. Um, and, and, and you can root back in wherever you are because you know your deep roots are in God. So just pray that they find Amen. new roots and new home in, in, in our Heavenly Father. Amen. That's great. And Debrina, for our audience, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Uh, we want to allow people to reach out to you if they have more questions or just want to reach out and bless you in any way uh, with your work and your ministry? Right. So you can have my email address um, probably written somewhere, which is d.schwan 
um, at Kreuzpunkt uh, or follow me on Facebook. Um, so the best way would be email me and get, get in touch through an email. Absolutely. And we'll post that information uh, on the chat. Uh, Andreas, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, best way is to just write us a mail, uh, info at elijah21.org. Our homepage is www.elijah21.org. It's E-L-I-J-A-H-21.org. Um, so if you write an email there, it will directly enter in my mailbox. So I'm more than happy to reach out to us. Um, we love to hear from you and from everybody else listening uh, and partner on and just listen to what the Lord has in mind. So feel free to write us. Um, uh, and yeah, we're more than happy. You find us on Instagram, you find us on Facebook. Um, and yeah, so that's probably the best way. There's also a contact form uh, uh, on the homepage. So if, if, you, if, you, if you want to use that, it will also go on info at Elijah21.org. Amen. Well, we just want to share, Mike, if you want to talk, talk about contacting us and the giving page, we have a giving page for refugees uh, harfreeron.com. Uh, we have a refugee page where you can give and support these ministries that we're partnering with and talk a little bit more about that. I know we have a couple minutes left. Mike, if you want to close us out uh, with that, I would love to hear more from you. Sure. Thank you so much. Uh, please visit us at heartforiran.com. That's hearts with the number for iran.com. And also over there, you'll have different buttons to be able to partner with us to pray, to, to, to raise funds and other ways. Um, we are going to give a portion of the funds that is raised through the, today's webinar to Pastor Rami Changizi and his ministry in Greece and others as well. And uh, uh, we are honored and totally blessed to be uh, partnering with you guys. Um, you don't have to send the funds to us. Please do recognize that people like Debrina and Andreas have anointed ministries, and there are many, many more that are doing so much in that arena. So please find out who they are, support them, lend a hand uh, from your church. Uh, it's been a pleasure for us to be able to partner with you guys, with all of you guys. We would like to partner with you guys who are watching the program and are not yet a partner. Let's give our hands together and do something amazing here. Uh, that website that I shared with you is masihiat.com. Uh, send that to your friends uh, in the field in Germany and, and Macedonia. And also, if you want to contact us, uh, please do so at uh, emailing us at uh, info at heartforiran.com. Uh, that is the best way to contact us. Amen. So we want to thank you again for being a part of this program. Uh, thanks so much to our special guest. Please reach out to us at that email info at harfreeron.com if you have more questions. Uh, we'll send you more information about the giving page, how you can be a part of this. Uh, Andreas, would you mind praying to close us out? We would really love to hear from you. Yes, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. Lord, we just want to step in front of you now with all we have, with our hearts. We want to lay in front of your cross, Lord. You put us all together through those various ways, miraculous ways, through technology. And we can be one in you, through you, and with you. Lord, help us that we listen carefully and that we understand, that we tune the noise down so we can hear your voice, what is on your heart, and that we can follow and we can be good tools in your hand. Lord, I'm asking you to... Now help all the people that are refugees in the world, that are 
leaving their country or had to leave their country that are somewhere in camps with their family, with their children. Lord, I'm praying for all those people that are hungry now or have wounded, uh, have wounded feet or are hurt or sick or need help. Lord, you see them all. It's your heart that sees them and cries for them. Lord, I'm praying for all of them. Lord, you told us that you give us full authority and I'm asking you to help each one of them. And I'm asking you to send out one of yours that will pour out your love on those people. But I'm asking for a blessing on Heart for Iran and Mohabbat TV and uh, the entire team putting this together and on everybody listening and watching because we get to be all one in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us.